0: Something is going to happen. Something wonderful. My God, it's full of stars. Welcome to the NY Patriot Show. Uh, in today's episode, I have Ron from the Wicked Planet joining me today as the co host. What is up, Ron? Thank you very much for jumping on people don't know who you are by now but I'm pretty sure I think all my most of my listeners actually know who you are just let them know who you are just in case they don't use it.
1: thank you and for asking me to come on because uh, we had talked about getting together a little bit more so here I am and this we got a really cool subject today Fuck yeah! but yes I am Ron from New England from the wicked planet podcast Linking up with the New York Patriot today to go over some really bizarre stuff. Yeah, definitely. High strangeness for sure. And
0: uh, I got all of your links in there now with the live as well, if anybody happens to catch the live. And today's guest, I just had him on recently talking about the Smiley Face Killers. If you did not catch that episode, I highly (laughs) suggest to check that out after this if you enjoyed this episode We got J.J. Vance. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming back on again to talk about the Idaho Four. Let everybody know what's up with you and where they can find your amazing work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Nick, thanks for having me back. I enjoyed the conversation on the Smiley Face Killers. Ron, nice to meet you. You too. Looking forward forward to the conversation here today. Uh, Just, uh, yeah, real quick uh, bio on myself. I host the Operation GCD podcast that's garbage can dude, and I uh, find it anywhere podcasts are located. And I have a link tree uh, on my Twitter account at Operation GCD uh, on Twitter. But I uh, build my podcast as a shenanigan infused journey into the mind of this particular garbage can dude, and that's myself. And uh, the uh, I, I just generally talk about uh, various subjects of high, high weirdness on my podcasts. I explore topics of like parapolitical and uh, secret society natures, and uh, largely, I like to get into one secret society and relative to their uh, their veneration of the ancient architecture or structures of America, and that's the mounds. And that secret society is the Society of Cincinnati, and they founded the nation of America, and they had a deep veneration for the the Indian mounds that used to. Exists in America, upwards of a million or you know million plus mounds across America at one point in time.
0: Something up with those? So
2: mounds. That's, the, that's what we like to do at Operation G- GCD. Like I said, available anywhere. Podcasts are, are located. And, Yeah, thanks for having me back here, to Nick. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, this is like this is and this is a topic that I haven't gotten sick of yet since it happened because <laughs> it just seems like so much weird shit or just like even. Before we get into it, even like another thing that I think is even a problem with it too, but not so much I guess legal wise, but like people that are into true crime, this is definitely a case that people I think are running with too on like YouTube and like really just oh, making just making up like theories and ideas and evidence
2: that actually does it's not a, exist. It's gone. It's gone full blown Looney Tunes. Yes. Yeah. For sure.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: And there's a lot of people just making stuff up.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, like all the, day
1: Like the audio, they're making up fake audio They're putting in fake timelines And uh, it's just so It's just like any sub This is a hot topic, right? Because in actuality, nobody really knows what happened
2: no, I mean, no, they, I mean, no they have the, they Not have even the, law enforcement
1: Yeah, they have this suspect They have this suspect that we know very little about And that's why I'm really excited to, to uh, See what you got, J.J.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this, uh, this, you, both of y'all are, are right, you know, right on target. This case is kind of grasped international headlines. I mean, everyone, not just not in this country, just around, folks around the world. It's, it's, you know, commanding their social media, you know, platforms over there too. And, you know, Australia, you know, even in Asians, uh, the continent of Asian uh, folks are falling over there. It's just hard to believe it's gotten that much attention worldwide, but it has, I mean, it's literally the the news. So everyone's watching, and the last time, you know, that I can remember a case doing that is the O.J. Simpson case, and there's a lot of other parallels between that I can compare this case to the O.J. Simpson case, including the folks that are lambasting the suspect in this case, Koberger, on, in the media, you know, they're prosecuting him in the court of public opinion long before the man even gets an arraignment hearing, and, you know, those folks are folks like Marsha Clark, the prosecutor from the O.J. Simpson case, and Detective. Uh, uh, Mark Perjury Furman, you know, one of the detectives in, on the O.J. Simpson homicide investigation, who was literally perjuring himself on, on, in trial, while the LAPD is conducting a internal investigation into his his uh, his actions as a as a Nazi white supremacist in the LAPD department. That's the reason why he left the department right after that. He got fired because I think it was like three days after he testified, they completed the internal affairs investigation, which started months prior, you know, three or four months prior. And, you know, it was a it was a lengthy report they found on the man, so it wasn't one accusation, you know.
1: And that is tied
2: to this case. Yeah,
1: well, Furman was accused of white supremacy, racism, everything you could possibly oh, yeah. imagine, yeah.
2: They had some, it was some pretty heinous stuff, and it was, it was pretty widespread. For example, one of his fellow detectives married a Jewish woman, so he decorated the man's locker in, in, in uh, allegedly in, in, in you know, Nazi graffiti, and they did an, This was in the investigatory report that the internal affairs investigation did. You know, from LAPD, they fingerprinted the locker. They did do the. They did. The, they did the forensics on that case. Unlike the OJ case, they fingerprinted the locker and found that he. Uh, found his fingerprints. Found Furman's fingerprints on the on the man's locker. So it wasn't you know there was some meat to the accusations in the report, obviously. And it's funny that they'll do the forensics on that because again, the OJ case, the forensics are a mess, complete completely. You know, picking and choosing what they want to use to convict OJ, and they're doing the same thing here with Coberter, with the with the with the evidence and the forensic evidence especially. And again, I find it funny that that the, the kind of the mode of operations of framing these, these two these two suspects are the same. Because, again, I don't think I mean, the evidence supports OJ did not do it. Um, again, he, you know, what, that's not how the media portrayed it. But right now, again, that's all these accusations against Coburger. He's a serial killer. He's this, he's that. He stalked the victims. He fought, stalked them on Instagram. You know, none of these things happened. They're all from anonymous sources. You know, quote, unquote, anonymous sources say these things. It's being perpetrated by a character who's actually a former FBI and CIA agent, who's frequently a guest along with Furman and Marsha Clark on a channel called News Nation. That's kind of where the epicenter of all of these these this propaganda campaign is coming from. And again, it's folks who used to be involved with with the O.J. Simpson case. The uh, the host on News Nation is Ashley Banfield, and she's the one who's hosting I, all these people I've heard I was
1: just gonna ask you that uh, yeah isn't that Ashley Banfield kind of leading leading the whole charge on this on this particular story on absolutely News
2: she's and the other media organizations are kind of just picking off of whatever she's reporting hmm. uh, and they're on News Nation along with Chris Cuomo who's on News Nation again yeah, both former CNN folks oh my and, God. but Ashley Banfield made her name in the 2009 mm-hmm. OJ Simpson case the Las Vegas kidnapping mm-hmm. case that he went to prison for for a while That's where she made her name in reporting was on that. Mm -hmm. I just find it interesting. There's so many parallels to the O.J. Simpson case. But yeah, you you both back to the original point here. Before my long-winded explanation, and I, I appreciate you hearing me out. The, uh, you know, the 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 court, the the prosecution of the court of public opinion on this with with suspect Koberger has been aggressive, to say the least. Yes, for sure.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned like Mm -hmm. O.J. Simpson. Like I know this is. Too, like, that wasn't the case with the glove that you were talking about, but like, you got Kohlberger with the sheath and you had OJ with the glove.
2: Like, yeah, there's, again, there's a lot of parallels in, in this. And that's what I'm saying. It's like you have a playbook. How do we, we, we frame OJ? Because again, OJ was framed and not just from the media perspective, there's a lot of other stuff, funky stuff that was going on that was. That Judge Ida would not let in the trial or the prosecution, you know, heavily motion against the evidence becoming in the trial, so stuff that was never publicly reported, but was publicly available via other other methods of private investigators or et cetera, et cetera.
1: JJ, wasn't there also a glove found after the fact at the crime scene of the Idaho Four?
2: There was, and there was really never any any talk of that, and and yeah. you know, and it, it could be nothing, it could be something. I, I am curious about that. What I'm more curious about is, the, you know, speaking of things that uh, of av- seemingly of an evidentiary nature that just kind of just you know, it get, they get memory hold. So if you it, with the Idaho case, not to get into too far into all the details because I like to set the stage of what what, what you know what what all the victims are and, and and the actual crime that occurred, et cetera, et cetera, and but. Early on, there was a, uh, a a food truck video released of the of the two of the two of the victims. It was their last stop yes. before they went home.
0: sorry yes, remember
2: that. Police and funny enough, once again, police didn't do anything to get that food, food truck video out. One of the victims' sisters did. So again, the police in this investigation are like, you know, they're they're doing this whole we're brilliant, but at the same time, they don't have any evidence or actions to support how brilliant they are.
1: Okay, but, so uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, JJ, but is it is it is am I right in thinking that the uh Kohlberger has not even been indicted for this yet
2: no he's he recently got indicted on it's May like a week or two 25th ago, right? i believe oh okay yeah. so it was recently okay yeah. he had the Raymond hearing coming up and we can get into that later <laughs> they Hell, screwed him with that kind des- of the state decided to just go ahead and put everything under a confidential veil of confidentiality with the with the grand jury indictment versus the public arraignment hearing that was already scheduled but yeah, one just one real quick note on the food truck video. In that food truck video, one of the victims is seen wearing a black coat. It appears to be a man's coat because it's it's too big for her. that. The, the police have photographs of, of picking up that coat at a fire hydrant the next day, which is about I'd say 400 meters from the front door of that home. But there's no other discussion of how that coat got there or what what that you know or anything else, right? So. Did the girl just – she got a car ride home from a private, like, car ride service, I believe, the university offers. So there's no reason for her to then walk 400 meters from her front door, go throw this coat by a fire hydrant, and then go back into her house. You know, there's obviously other activities that went on that night. There's evidence supporting that there was other activities going on like that coat. And, again – There's photographs of the police taking it into evidence. Thanks to News Nation, they were on the ground with their, you know, their uh, on the ground reporter doing a lot of video, you know, video and just regular photographing. So there's there's evidence that the police took that coat into to uh, to evidence, (laughs) and uh, it's clearly the same coat the victim was wearing in that food truck video. There's no, really, no question about it. It's a pretty distinctive coat. Mm. So there's, you know, much like, you know, just speaking of kind of the ambivalent nature of the police, the police investigation, there's so much contradictions within within their their own details of their own investigation versus their own statements. They just they don't comport. Yeah, because according to like for, the, uh, the, that goes for Coburger.
0: because according to them, after the food truck, they went home, right? Just like straight home.
2: Yeah, they, they took a private ride service. Yeah. Again, I think there's been tossed around Uber, but I think it's more of like a university, like drunk kids get a ride home kind of service, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, pretty, like,
2: I think they're pretty common on universities.
0: If, if you don't mind, if you could just, like, I guess, break down, I guess, like, well, I guess you're getting there anyway. If you want to break down what actually happened, who got killed, well, suppose, you know, whatever the, the, the details that we've been uh, given.
2: Yeah, the, the, the facts as, they, as they're as they laid out, the, the known facts versus what the police actually start as facts. Yeah, yeah JJ, so.
1: let's, uh, JJ, let's start out, like, in the beginning with what you have.
2: Well, so, yeah, the, the general facts of the, of the case, and uh, again, I, I can see why, I am mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big into true crime, uh, you know, I, I I just, I have a history in, in law enforcement and in the in the military and the Air Force for 20 years, you know, I have education, both grad and post-grad and criminal justice, so it's just, it's a subject I've, I've been interested in, obviously, for, for many years, I just, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a fan of the true crime kind of community, I don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, I don't watch a lot of documentaries. But this one I can see is going to generate a lot of documentaries and podcasts around the world because it's, it's just grabbed everyone's attention and for good reason. I mean, four college students were murdered in their home on, uh, you know, not on campus, but essentially on campus. It's one one road off of campus of the University of Idaho on November, the, the early morning hours of November 13th. And I say early morning hours because – the police aren't exactly certain in their own statements when the crimes occurred. That's why I was waiting to see what was going to come out at the public arraignment hearing, because they, the police initially said the crimes occurred between three and 4. AM. They later changed that to between four Oh five and four 23 AM on November 13th. And I think there's substantial evidence supporting that. That, that timeline is not, doesn't make any sense. See like now the four Oh five. Sorry. Go ahead. Ron.
1: Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that time period that that they that the cops second, second uh, I guess, came up with second was this right. time period between, I'd just say between 4 and four thir- uh, 4.30, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Now, we understand also after them tracking Koberger's phone that that's a lost section of time where they do not know where he is,
2: right? That's a good point, Ron, because yeah. this whole tracking of Koberger's phone thing is preposterous. So this was something that was introduced throughout the the, the between you know Brian cover being being arrested on December thirtieth, twenty twenty two, and kind of uh, March, where there was, the, you know, his defense counsel was starting to beginning to file motions because, namely, one of the one of the continual motions she was filing was discovery motions because the the state was was ignoring her discovery motions, demanding what evidence they had, and that's something we can get into later. But yeah. The, this whole, it, well, the cell phone thing is part of it, but so this whole tracking Brian Koberger's cell phone, there's like five towers in between Pullman, Washington, which sits just on the edge of the Washington State and Idaho State, and then Moscow, Idaho, which are separated for, by about five miles, the two cities are. So you have Washington State University and, I, and University of Idaho in these two cities, and that's, that's essentially why these cities exist. I mean, it's, the, it's half the pop, nearly half the population in both, in both cities, Forty percent. Yeah, they're virtually right next to each other. Yeah, and it's well, yeah, and it's it's really kind of one city. So especially with the way like retail establishments and restaurants work, they don't you know they'll have one location in one town and one in the other or grocery stores. So folks travel between both both towns very frequently on a daily basis. So you know the fact that Coburger's cell phone pinged off of one of these five towers between those two cities. Well, those towers operate within within a minimum of ten square mile radius. He could be sitting in his WSU campus apartment and ping at the tower over by the, the murder house over in Moscow be, because if there's so many phones on t- pinging one tower at one time, it'll send the signal relayed to the next available tower. And again, he's within the radius of any one of those five towers. So he could be sitting in his campus apartment on WSU in Pullman and pinging off any one of the five towers at any time. All right, so, so
1: it so in actuality, oh, there's no way they can actually pinpoint his location. No, no. only that his could. phone pinged off of whatever tower, <laughs> right, was available at that particular time. Okay, just so the You're listeners spot on. understand. You're spot on. Yeah, yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, and, and so they've gotten real creative, right? That, you know, if you look at what their their official statements are, oh, hey, and and again, if you'll read the actual affidavit, the arrest affidavit. They get very creative, and I would say the way you have to read that is they're just they're writing it for plausible deniability. They're saying, we tracked him in this area. So they can later say, look, we tracked him in that area. That's what we said in the affidavit. That's what we did. But they don't go into the details that, yeah, his phone can be pinging in that area because he's sitting in his campus apartment, and that's just where his cell phone's pinging because it's within a 10 square mile radius. And I think it's actually, I'm, I'm being generous when I say 10. I think it's closer to 20 but I don't know the specifics for those towers. I just know that the generally accepted minimum is 10 square miles. So if he's living eight miles away from the mur- the murder, the murder site, the murder house in Moscow, and he's eight miles away, I think point to point via the road, that's not even, it's probably more like six and a half, you know, line to line. I think it's about eight, eight miles on the roadway. So, you know, that's obviously within a 10 square mile radius.
1: Okay. So essentially we have no way of knowing for sure where Coburger was, this whole time, other than, he was close enough to where his phone would ping off, whatever tower.
2: Well, yeah, he was, and again, yeah. he could just be sitting yeah. in his living room.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Basically, yeah. the distance and between the so two. The, so the, yeah. So still um, enough I'm sorry, Nick. Happen. Go
0: ahead. Basically, the distance the distance between the two places was, and the towers that he would have pinged off of it could have just shown him close, even though he was all the way, the other way. You know what I'm saying? Like
2: precisely. Yeah. yeah so precisely. This is th- yeah, but so you, you can see how creative the, the, the authorities, law enforcement authorities, got with saying, we tracked him in this, and he was pinging at this tower, but they don't say, like, look, this isn't, we can't, you know, triangulate him to this position. They don't say, see how the plausible deniability comes in there? They don't give you the details. They give you a general, like, generalized, hey, look, he's in this area. His phone is pinging this area. And, you know, then they try to, you know, so, yeah, so, Koberger, Brian Koberger is the suspect that was arrested for these crimes was arrested December thirtieth. So, between November twelfth or thirteenth, essentially the, more, the early morning hours of the thirteenth and December thirtieth, law enforcement authorities gave the entire again the, the the public at large, but again not just in America in the world worldwide, gave them a roller coaster ride of propaganda and intentional misdirections that were given through public press press events, and then. Suddenly, voilà! Like a like a Harry Houdini magic show. Like surprise, we got, we got a suspect, Brian Koberger, and we've been tracking him. There's been, you know, numerous rumors, false narratives driven on how they've been tracking him the entire time. Their own, their own evidence and reports dictate a different story, otherwise than that. But they said su- to, you know, the public at large, surprise, you know, early morning hours of December 30th, we raided Brian Koberger's parents' home in Pennsylvania and arrested, the, you know, this heinous suspect. But and you know they try to say they're tracking him across the U.S. The media reported again from News Nation originating this reporting, uh, saying the FBI was tra- you know tracking him, and at one point they lost they lost Brian Cobert for like a 15 hour stretch, like he's some sort of criminal mastermind. What you know, it, which is preposterous. And the Indiana State Police pulled him over twice in you know Indianapolis, which which I can attest, they pull everybody over over in that stretch. That are, that's a very high you know, highly policed, you know, stretch of an uh, interstate highway right there. Always has been. I get pulled over there frequently for just trying to go five five miles over the speed limit or something, cool. you know. So it happens. He Could he get pulled over there? Sure. The media reported saying the FBI told the Indiana State Police to pull him over. The, and then the FBI came out and said, no, he didn't. So, there, you know, there's all this, you know, false false narratives, misreporting, propaganda being perpetrated. And even their okay. own, you know, the own organizations like the FBI, they're not the ones saying they're doing that. And in fact, they're actually putting out a public statements saying that never happened, despite, you know, News Nation and other media organizations just, you know, running with it.
1: Right. If Koberger was not a suspect at that time, because he left for Pennsylvania shortly after these uh, murders occurred, right? Right. Right. So if he wasn't a suspect at that time, why would the FBI say, we have a suspect on the hook, he's on the move. We want you to stop him to see what's going on. When in actuality, he got stopped for his vehicle not being registered, is that correct?
2: No, well, then again, there's a lot of misdirection on, on how the reason why he was stopped. It was, you know, reported it was the FBI, it's been reported issues with registration. It's been reported that he was following too close to vehicles both times.
0: Yeah, they had cameras for that. The body cameras for those two came out.
2: They're yeah. So close. so it has been. You know, but So, yeah, if you watch the body camera footage, it's following too close. And, and then there was the one media- with
0: him, like, I think being out in the middle of the road, it stuck between the light to make a turn.
2: Yeah, right. And so, he's yeah, like,
0: "Oh, well, I live in such a small town. We don't even have sidewalks or crosswalks." That, so I didn't know that
2: one was in Pullman. That was before the oh, uh, no, was before my the murders. Baby. No, Bye. but you, you know, but you can but those are good indicators of the character who you're dealing with. The guy's a very timid individual and he's he ma- he's making a reasonable argument into the to the to the officer in Pullman of why he shouldn't get a ticket. So I mean, yeah, you know, he's not he's not the psychopath that's reported to the media, you know what I mean? It's it's pretty evident the guy is has nothing to do with it. If you look at the totality of the alleged evidence against him versus the actual evidence that is available, what it, what it shows.
1: Don't you think I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't you think though, if he did commit these crimes, he would have been, I don't care how calm you are. If you just committed a heinous crime like that, and you're quote unquote booking towards Pennsylvania And as a police car trying to, you know, getting ready to pull you over, you are going to be nervous. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, absolutely. You're you're either going to be very nervous. So when you're stopped and the officer comes to your vehicle, you're going to exhibit some form of anxiety that may raise the attention of the officer. Number one. Uh, Yeah,
2: absolutely. Number
1: two, the other thing is fight or flight. You're going to get on the throttle. I mean whether you got your dad with you or not you're going to fly you're going to try to you're going to try to evade pursuit right he did none of those he pulled over totally normal calm tries to get out of the ticket using reason so that to me again is another kind of a red flag uh that that we might have the wrong guy here
2: that's a that's a great analysis, Ron, and I'll and I'll give you some uh, some su- some substantiating evidence to support what you just said. So, yeah, I mean, again, he's cool, calm, and collective. He seems like a very timid timid guy. Who's making a reasonable argument, you know, to try to avoid the circumstances of getting a ticket. We've all done it, you know what I mean? I mean, anyone who's gotten pulled over has made at least some argument, whether or not it's reasonable or not. It's a different it's a different uh, metric, I suppose. But the uh, the point is he doesn't seem like a psychopath. So then folks say like, well, he's like Ted Bundy and they make this whole serial killer thing. And he's been accused of all these other crimes that, you know, where's the evidence of any of those accusations, let alone the Idaho accusations. Let's start with those first. You know what I mean? But then, you know, it has built this whole kind of folklore already surrounding this, the suspect. And, you know, with issues like the registration, for example, you know, he, he re-registered his car because the one in Pennsylvania was expiring. He's now living in Washington. He's got to register his car, you know, because his registration is ending, so he registers in Washington. You know, and, and that, that was turned into, well, he changed his plates and re-registered his vehicles to avoid, you know, any suspicions that, that you know, the police were looking for him. police were never looking for him. The You know, the um, law enforcement on December 7th announced, December 7th, 2022, said um, to the public, we need your assistance locating a 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra. Well, Brian Koberger drove a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra. So after they arrested him, they had the FBI uh, analyst who determined it was a 2011 to 2013 do a second analysis of the same exact video footage and determine I was wrong. Upon the second analysis, this is from the affidavit of his arrest, of Koberger's arrest. The FBI agent asserts I was wrong. Upon second analysis, I determined it was a 2011 to 2016 white honda elantra so they even shifted there's a point there's a point in their own investigatory documents and affidavits they filed with the court that shows that they shifted their entire case to fit brian Koberger at a certain date and their own activities publicly dictate they did this clearly at that point under some sort of pressure to you know to there's the impetus of why they had to do it it wasn't where the there was a point where the investigation was going one direction it shifted, and then all all the public statements that they'd already made they made they made fit to, to Koberger. That's and it's a very bizarre thing to, to see in any investigation, because obviously, you know, you can compare what their actions were now versus what they said before, and time and time again in this case, law enforcement has contradicted themselves. And I'll just give you one other quick example, because because the impetus behind. So you have some forensic evidence supposedly behind Cobra's arrest, but then you also have eyewitness statements and there's two surviving roommates from this home and those two surviving roommates, there's, there's a lot of ins and outs and what have you's around their entire story. But notably real quick regarding, you know, picking out Brian Cobra as a suspect, one of them allegedly identified him by his bushy eyebrows, one of the survivors. But police initially, upon the initial first, the first uh, news conference was November 16th. So three, three and a half days after the crime there. They said the roommates, there was, there was questions of whether, whether or not the roommates were home at all. Once that got hammered out, the, the police then refused to call them witnesses, right? This is the initial press conference. The, the reporters are asking, well, so are they witnesses? Was this a hostage situation? You know, the, legitimate questions. And the police, you know, the, the, the police chief there, Moscow PD, uh, he said, nope, not a hostage situation. They're not witnesses. The media reported both victims were on the first floor of the home. The arrest affidavit comes out later. One of them is a witness now. So that's changed. She saw him by his bushy eyebrow, eyebrows. That's how she picked out Koberger from his bushy eyebrows, which, again, this whole that whole narrative is preposterous for a lot of, a lot of reasons just the physics behind the alleged interaction between the suspect and this roommate eyewitness. But you can see how the, they changed from no eyewitnesses, right? First floor roommates. Now the arrest affidavit comes out. Suddenly one's an eyewitness. Suddenly she's on the second floor and the bedroom up on the second floor. Cause there's numerous bedrooms in this home. There was, you know, a, supposedly one vacant, you know, initially the vacant bedroom was on the second floor, but then the arrest affidavit came out. The vacant bedroom went to the first floor. And now that roommate saw the suspect, Koberger, identified him in a, in a lineup, and that's the other supporting evidence against no Now,
0: now, now I, I may be wrong, you know, but uh, wasn't one of the other, I could be wrong, but, like, the other room, like, didn't he go into a room upstairs and, like, out of the four people, weren't two of them <laughs> in a room together?
2: Great question, Nick. There's a lot of questions about how Koberger allegedly, because, again, this is the allegations of the state of Idaho and their case against him. There's a lot, there's a lot, they haven't really answered of how he entered and exited the home. Right. So allegedly this roommate who was the eyewitness who became the eyewitness after initially the police said there was no eyewitnesses. Um, And the media again reported this roommate was on the first floor and then suddenly she was on the second floor later. So she allegedly watched Cobra leave. This is her position. Watch Cobra or walk out the sliding back glass back door to the, the backyard, which the backyard kinda there's a small hill right off uh-huh. right off the patio of the backyard that goes to an apartment building parking lot right next door. And cars park along that little roadway right there. I've noticed in, in photographs, it's very common. So, you know, that would be an easy egress point to get out and you get know, you would be a reasonable yeah. Would be a reasonable getaway point. But um the facts of the case don't seem to support that. First of all, there's so many questions surrounding that that eyewitness account, that roommates' activities, et cetera, et cetera. But not even to get into that. At this point, we can get into that if you'd like. But my point being, just one simple example would be the door of the home was left open. So a neighbor called 911 around 9 a.m. saying the door of that home was wide open, and it's you know freezing cold morning. It, they had a big snowfall come up, come in within the 24 hours preceding. A big drop in temperature. So, 9 a.m. on a winter morning, you don't expect to see the uh, front door to this home open. One of the neighbors was concerned, called 911. Apparently at 9 a.m., the police in their early press conference actually said this. Later, when the you know news media were, a couple weeks after the the incidents around Thanksgiving time, uh, a media uh, one of the last live press conferences that the Moscow PD gave on the subject because after Thanksgiving they were all recorded press conferences. One-on-ones with like with like a reporter, he they quit doing live press conferences. One of the questions they fielded was questioning, you know, this report about the door being opened, because by this point in time, they're you know they're saying the suspect left out the back door, you know, publicly. They were suspecting that at least at that time, and the police chief said, "Where'd you get that information?" And the reporter said, "Well, you said that." He said, "I never said that." But if you actually go back and watch his first press conference, he actually reports that the, the door was open. So there's a lot of questions. Have you know how the perpetrator of this crime, be it Coburger or not, how they entered and exited the you know the, the home. And you know one other quick note on that as well: there was no from the early scenes because there was a lot of media coverage immediately on this. So there's a lot of early pictures, a lot of early video stuff from local media, especially News Nation. There's no blood around that home. Entering or exiting the home at all anywhere, and actually the evidence that the police ended up uh, producing would support that that home was cleaned. You know, after the crime. Yeah. So and and again, there, there's no blood trail of some some assailant or assailants leaving that at home. I would agree that not only was the home cleaned, but the assailants cleaned up as well before they exited the home.
0: Yeah. That's, okay. That's something okay, I wanted so to I, bring up just real it, quick, uh, Ron, before you. Yeah, go ahead. All the people in this case, because I don't think we've actually talked about it, it was all done by stabbings, too. So you have to think, if Allegedly. four people got stabbed to death, bled out, and died in the house, there's a f- fuck ton of of a mess. Especially the person, and the amount of time that this supposedly all happened within minutes, just, oh yeah, it just makes no sense. But it was all done by stabbings. Yeah. And, and real quick, I just keep forgetting, and I want to bring it up. You mentioned something about, I think, uh, the date that it happened and then the day that he got arrested. That was like a month and 17 days later. 17 is kind of an occult number. And I had a, a, a Gematria guy on last night, and there was a couple of pages that he was pulling up that was all 1122, which is also the house number on Kings Road. And he had, for some reason, I forgot what it was, 117 as well. He had a bunch of stuff on 117 number. So now I'm seeing like, you know, more gematria with this case. That's
2: interesting. And, and I think yeah. you
0: even said from 405 to 423, there's even, I don't know the exact timestamps. It might be that, but there is something when they even tell you that that time in the morning, there is a 17 minute time difference with their timestamps. So you mm-hmm. see 17 again. And yeah, like, and
2: I could be wrong. It might be like four oh six to four twenty three. It might be seventeen minutes precisely on on that uh, that window. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy window of time to think about some, one assailant going into this home, which he allegedly does not know the the internal, you know, you know structure and, and uh, of the home. It, maybe he's gone online to see some pictures. Maybe that's possible. But he doesn't know who's in the home. He doesn't know what they're doing. He doesn't.
1: That, yeah, he doesn't no, know. He doesn't know who's there.
2: Yeah, it doesn't know who's there. I mean, I
1: mean, unless he was totally stalking it. And if that was the case, he would have been closer to that location when they all came home. And he would have known who was in the house and who wasn't in the house. And then there's the theory that there was also a dog in the house, that one of these kids, one of the girls had a pet dog. But they heard a dog no, barking.
2: That, too. That's confirmed. There was a dog in the house, for sure. Yeah, it,
1: and this dog should have freaked out, even if they just heard somebody at the door. Okay, just that was just my thought on it. The other thing I did wanted to add a couple of things. One, getting back to what you were starting to talk about, JJ, was that there are a lot of theories that a cleanup crew had gone in there. And that's why it took so long in between when these murders allegedly happened to when it was actually reported, right? And absolutely and, and getting back to NY's point, if you're stabbing somebody, like I, I took a grinder to the leg one day when I was working on a car, and I bled like a stuck hog. And that, <laughs> and that only went in like an inch. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's if you're stabbing people enough to get them, obviously, it only takes one stab wound to, in the right place to bleed somebody out. But the point is, your heart is pumping. That's a lot of pressure. Blood is a lot of pressure. There is going to be blood everywhere in that apartment. There's going to be blood. There's no way the assailant could have done this without getting some blood on him,
2: right? Oh, it would have been a mess. It would have been a complete, absolute You know what's funny, Ron?
0: The same thing you just said right now, cleanup crew. When I first heard this case, and I heard that there was an eight-hour window, too, of when the person, you know, between the phone call and the shit that happened, like, it's like 11 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, until right. the cops are called. I'm thinking this kid just got blamed for a cleanup crew going in that probably had something to do with drugs and or prostitution.
2: I th- I think because the amount
0: of it. the mess that should have been in there and how nothing was found, and with the amount of time in between the fucking phone calls are just... Average people, I, don't, I even if you're a college student, you're not going to... Wake up uh, uh, that's just bullshit. They didn't get up until
2: eleven yeah,
1: thirty. Like come I on. don't yeah, I don't want to get I don't want to <laughs> get too far ahead of JJ on this, but that's an excellent point. Because no, that,
2: the, yeah, the that, timelines that are point. different.
1: Uh one other thing I wanted to bring up. If you saw me glancing at my other screen, uh I'm in the auto body business, so I have estimators, uh, you know, software. Because I was trying to remember if there was a body change on the Elantra between eleven and sixteen. There wasn't. Very subtle differences. So a twenty eleven Elantra is, is to the layperson gonna look the same as a twenty sixteen Elantra. However, oh, correct me if we, I'm wrong,
2: there's 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 a lower set of headlights, I believe, on the twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen versus the, the okay, original.
1: but I'm saying uh, yes, the lighting usually usually they'll keep a platform they'll keep the body. Okay, so I'm looking it up right here. The hood assembly is the same from 11 to 16. So if the hood assembly is the same, the side profile of the vehicle is gonna be very similar other than changes in the lighting, changes in the headlights, uh, because headlight technology changed in 2014.
2: Right, I believe on the the Elantra 2015, 2016, versus the 2014, there's like a little vent area on the 2014 and earlier models. But the 2015 and 2016, they put, a, I think, one of those halogen lights there, those halogen bulbs. Yes,
1: from the front view, because the view that they have on camera is a side view. And but, and, and my concern is, do we know what kind of vehicle this DoorDasher had?
2: <laughs> no, actually. Yo, I, I find was, that so interesting, too, with the door I was get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good point, Ron. That's a good point. So. I think there's a lot of questions. They, the police have not been very forthcoming with any information regarding the precise views of, or precise videos they have that they used to identify this white Elantra. First of all, there's evidence again in their own analysis where they, they moved the dates of it to change it. And I would argue the reason why they did that is because it's nighttime. The the, the halogen light bulbs that are on the 15 and 16 model in this and essentially what, the appearance of four different lights. On the front of the vehicle at nighttime, right, would be pretty pretty apparent in any video they have. And if they don't have that, you know what I mean. I think that's the reason why they initially asserted that it was a 2011 to 2013 because those models don't have those extra lights. So the I think other- they use that later to bend it to Coburger. But I think it's evidence to support that they don't have a. You know, they haven't said again. They haven't said what video they're using. So they're they, you know until they until they produce the video or like. Some claims of how how much video there should be so much video of this vehicle, right? Something else.
1: I'm sorry, JJ. Something else too on the headlights. You have halogen headlights, and you also have HID xenon headlights. Depending 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 on what the trim, depending on what the trim is, totally different looking headlights and totally different illuminations.
2: What so? What are we talking here on the Elantra then? What, What what would those? What are those lower? Those lower lights, but what what, what department do they, uh, they fall in? Or
1: probably probably what we call in the business a DLR, a daytime uh, excuse me, a DRL, a daytime running light. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, th- that was added in. That was federally mandated on a lot of yep. vehicles, especially if they were sold in Canada, which is mandatory in Canada. <laughs> and we know how close they are to the Canadian border. Just yep. just a little something to throw in there because I'm trying to figure out how they identified this car. Now the pictures that I've seen that they had of the the surveillance of this car are not great.
2: No. And so that's funny. So those those are not the ones that they're, so that's kind of the misdirection of all this. So the ones that have been reported in the media, these (laughs) surveillance images are not the same images. Demonstrably not the same images used by law enforcement to identify the Coburgers, you know, the, the suspect's vehicle, which they alleged to be Coburger. So those images, it's funny, they didn't even come out from the investigation. So after on December seventh, the police announced that they needed the public's assistance locating this white Elantra. So a gas station manager from one of the uh, the east and westbound uh, state highways, the, this gas station that sits on the edge of town. She went into their security camera footage, found this image of this, this uh, you know, white sedan, possibly an Elantra. As you point out, it's a, not a great image. And she produced that to law enforcement. So they didn't even come ask her at one of the main thoroughf- thoroughfares in and out of town and said, hey, do you guys have any security camera footage? A week after they announced it on December 7th, she's the one who went in there and did that herself and then handed it over to media and to law enforcement. But at that point in time, that's when that image came out. So that wasn't, again. It's, so law enforcement should have all sorts of footage from around the campus. It's one block off of campus. The campus, no, no, there's no doubt in the mind, has all sorts of video camera footage from along the edge of their property. And there's ring doorbell cameras that are photographed and other media reports that are on the neighbor's properties around this home. So clearly the police have a lot of video, gra- or video you know, evidence to go through the actual uh, murder house itself had a ring doorbell camera that's how the victim's sister knew that, that her, her sister got home at 156 in the morning and not 145 which is what for 2 weeks law enforcement was reporting that that girl that that victim and the other victim got home at 145 the victim's sister had to correct it and say i looked at my she accessed her sister's ring doorbell account looked at the looked at the video footage from from the murder home and, and, and it showed 156. So then the police had to ad- adapt to that new timeline. So they've done this a number of times So the investigation of da- adapting to the new timeline when third parties not related to law enforcement or authorities introduce new evidence that they have to now dance around.
1: Okay, so they have no video from the ring camera on the front door of any suspect going into the house that way, Right. I I mean, we do know that. Well, we do know that there's an upper deck, outside deck, to the third floor in the pictures at least, which I can only presume there might be a sliding door that goes out onto that deck, which are very easily, uh, very accessible, (laughs) very hard to lock a sliding door, which really upsets me because my wife just had a sliding door put in our house, but uh, (laughs) but but I'm saying. If there's no no video of just say Koberger, all right, entering the house, they already know that they have video of the kids coming back to the house at, at whatever time.
2: Exactly. But we
1: don't know how the murderer got into the house.
2: Right. So again, I love your question, so that's a great point. So there and reasonably speaking, there should be evidence of some some third party or multiple third parties entering that home. There should be, on this the ring doorbell camera from the home, there should be the DoorDash person. The police didn't initially want to introduce this DoorDash person, but evidence was later produced from third parties where the police had to then adapt this into their timeline because, again, the initial timeline was the murder occurred between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. DoorDash got there, I believe, at 4.04 a.m. And again, this is confirmed through things like that DoorDash video that the victim's family had access to that clearly you know, showed that the law enforcement wasn't actually investigating anything if they're not concerned about these details.
1: Right, and the, and the fact that it was a, listed as a non-contact delivery. Right. Still would have been able to pick him up on the camera. I mean, they don't just leave exactly. that, you, they don't leave your shit on the side of the road.
2: Yeah, they walk right up to the door, put it right they there They walk the up door. to the
1: door, and, and probably, I know my stepson DoorDash for a long time if it's a no contact, he always told me you bring your door dash up to the door, you hit the doorbell.
2: Yeah, I, I, whenever I order, I don't order a lot of food, but whenever I do, I'll, I'll order no contact because I don't want the, the scare of the delivery driver with my dog who sounds like mm-hmm. he's going to eat him.
1: Yeah. But I'm so saying, do we they put have put it right there in front of the
2: door. So, you know, they would be on camera for sure.
1: Okay. So, but, but there's no talk of that. <laughs> other no than talk. saying, other than saying it was contactless. Okay, so well, it, it's, it, even well, if it's so contactless, it, it still had to get
2: there, right? And again, so they had they had to include this in their timeline later because there was photographs by the media produced showing the Doordash inside on in, in the home. So it made it into the home. So it was a con- you know it, it was confirmed through the victims' families with access to the data from the victims' phones and stuff and the victims' accounts, showing that this this event occurred. But this was not something the police introduced. This was something third parties introduced. The police then had to adapt it to their timeline, and again, it's a very inconvenient factor for them because it moved their initial time of the murder between three and four a.m. Based upon the coroner's own, I'm sorry, yeah, the coroner's own statements, the county coroner said these murders occurred between three and four a.m. And then they initially used some two of the victims' phones to substantiate that that claim by saying they had no more activity on their phones until after after two fifty two a.m. They use that to claim that. So then later comes out this DoorDash. Also later comes out from an, another victim's family's uh, siblings' uh, statements and, and evidence that victim Zana Carnotel was on her TikTok account till I believe 4:14 a.m. So now you're moving her being on her TikTok account dur- w- during the new time frame of when these murders allegedly occurred. So now even this new timeline doesn't. If you put all the details together, it just it doesn't. They don't comport.
0: Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but didn't even the cops get called due to stuff being talked about through Snapchat DMs? Like a Snapchat yep. group was talking about what the fuck just happened on the campus, and somebody was like, you call the cops yet? And somebody eventually called the cops. Like, I don't even <laughs> think, like, I think somebody in that chat called the cops before the people in the house did. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. There was some, well, yeah, I think, yeah. and they, they definitely called families. Now Go ahead, Ron. Good.
1: The, yeah, there was some talk that one of the other, uh, uh, either the sorority or one of the other Greek houses, uh, one of the fraternities had complete knowledge of all of this before the cops were even called. And that was brought into question by one of the girls that got murdered's parents. They're like, how do you know about this stuff at 11 in the morning, 10 in the morning? And it's not even been reported to the police yet. I mean, I th- I think that there was some form of cover up uh, involved in this murder, big time, which which leads me to the next thing, JJ. And I hope we're not skipping over anything. But
2: no, but may, may I comment on that real quick. Just yeah, sure. on the cover up. There's yeah. absolutely a cover up because one of the piece, key pieces of evidence in the certain the initial search warrants, which they never found, so no longer is a part of any conversation. One of the initial key pieces of evidence was uh, uh, alleged latent uh, shoe print left at the murder scene. Now, now just the fa- the mere fact that it's a latent shoe print, not even getting into the other details of the shoe print, which are preposterous. And again, no longer works and they're no longer part of the narrative. But the, uh, the fact that it's a latent shoe print means that it, someone cleaned up the murder scene because it's not a shoe print in blood. It means that, you know, the floor looks normal and then they put some chemicals and some powder down there in a forensic scientific process of investigating the crime scene and determine, well, look, now we've, we've made the shoe print appear. And then they take, you know, take a piece of tape and take a, a print of that shoe print and, and say, we need to find whose shoe this is. And again, they did that in the OJ case with his, with his loafer shoes. This, again, the correlations are, are eerily similar between both of these cases, forensically speaking and with the evidence. But so that's the latest shoe print. So just by the very nature that existed, right? I mean someone cleaned that floor.
1: And this said, this, <laughs> this shoe in this shoe print was allegedly similar to a van's is what was reported.
2: Right, right. And, and which what's yeah, interesting,
1: it, it, Right, which has a split design. The front design, NY would be interested in this, is is always looks like little star like hundred like a hundred little star at David's
2: oh. on a, on a
1: van shoe print uh on a footprint but yeah that's, so this interesting. was uh,
2: Vans is uh is the Scottish spelling of, of my surname Vance. Oh there you go. But the I point don't know, is I don't know the history of the company but that's just that's the Scottish it
1: spelling. wasn't it wasn't shoes that stepped in blood.
2: No no huh, and,
1: and, and not only that <laughs> you'd think there'd be tons be, of that laying around it's gonna <laughs> be, be super right? hard to get an actual shoe print in blood Blood is extremely slippery, and it takes a long time for it to dry up. So the whole thing with the shoe prints and this whole thing is totally just whatever they could throw in there to get people off the trail of what is going on. That place was cleaned up.
2: Oh, for sure. You know what's a
1: good way to segue when you're done? When
0: you're done, Vance. I would like to actually segue into... I think if you even realize how he ever became a suspect, you'd be like, "This makes no sense." <laughs> so you sense. Could, if maybe we could get into that at some point.
2: Yeah, let me let me just make one one point to, to answer one of Ron's questions he he's brought up a couple of times and try to try to bring some some uh, some at least reasonable, you know, uh, you know thought process behind why the there was such a delay in the nine one one call. First of all, I you know I think it is suspect. I don't I don't agree with it whatsoever. Um, I think there's a lot of things that can be drawn out of that that need to be a lot of questions need to be asked that aren't being asked, right? Cause the police just said it happened. No big deal. They weren't witnesses. So they didn't know what happened. And then that later was, well, the one of them was a witness. And then, you know, they, she didn't call for eight hours cause she was frozen in fear. Well, if she was frozen in fear, she knew something was wrong, but then she didn't do anything. So that doesn't make any sense. And then the other alleged surviving roommate, she, was actually being, she's actually under subpoena right now to testify for coverer's defense with exculpatory evidence. So clearly she has a different story. Otherwise it wouldn't be exculpatory evidence. And again, that's when the state kind of put everything under the confidential grand jury indictment because all these other activities were going on. They were losing their grip on keeping this under wraps. So they put it under an indictment to keep it under wraps for longer instead of the public arraignment hearing. But to give some, some sort of legitimate nature to the activities of the delay of the 911 call, the actual, this is bizarre, This is a bizarre policy in my opinion, but fraternity, fraternities and sororities banded together in a national, they have all these national chapters of these organizations. So in the 1980s, they were getting sued left and right and paying out millions of dollars. So they formed a trade organization for the purposes of in, an insurance policy. So they kind of consolidated their liability into this insurance group, all of them across the nation, all these national chapters of all these organizations. And in their policy documents, it says, do not call the police, do not call the family, you call your chapter president first, and you wait for return phone calls and contact from whatever their higher level regional you know, president is. So their own internal documents tell these kids to do these activities so that, you know even by virtue of them following these their, their actual policies of their own organizations, this, the fraternities or the sororities, it says, notify your sorority first, do not call police, do not call family until you're told to do so. So the fact that all these kids are then Snapchatting that afterwards, that makes total sense to me because that's going to spread through the rumor mill within minutes within college kids are always on their phones. And oh my God, Snapchat, yeah. and they have these groups already that are existing groups on Snapchat so they can communicate socially, right? For parties, et cetera. So they're already in, a, you know, that's going to spread again within minutes. And it did. And even it spread within the, the the rest of the town. The twenty thousand or so other people in the town, I think it's ten thousand college students, maybe twenty thousand residents of, of Moscow. And that message to the town's people spread. It was a shooting. Early media reports, yes, yes, said it was a shooting. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was reported to the mom actually. One of the uh, and I think it was uh, Consalves, Is that how you pronounce the one girl's name? Yep. Uh, a friend of hers. Or maybe a sister or something was talking to the mom in the story they were telling the parents, and the mom was that she was shot.
2: Yep, and that was the early messaging going across yeah. the entire town. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and early media reports, local media reports, said the same thing. Now that was later changed to the, the stabbing, but no. So within these Snapchat, that's how. So that's how the Gonzalvez family learned about it, right? Yeah. yeah. It was all the one of the students from within the Snapchat groups that were going off at like eight o'clock in the morning, right? The nine one one call was at noon right? So, allegedly it was the murders were at four, so four hours after the murder all these Snapchats are going around. Four hours later is the 911 call. One of the college students calls the Gonzalves family, as the story goes, and that's six hours before they learned from law enforcement. And so they knew before the 911 call. And you can kind of see this in, the, in their interviews with, with the media, you know, during the early onset of the investigation. They were very upset with their treatment they were receiving from law enforcement because they knew details that were that were contradicting what the law enforcement was saying in the media and that's why they hired an attorney. They made a big media circus out of it. They didn't make a media circus out of it. The media made a circus out of it to try to diminish these people's opinion in their position.
1: Right. And that's why there was a gag water issued by a judge. Exactly. Everything that had to do that because uh, there was so many different stories coming out. So
2: well, it blows out their timeline. I mean, right, it blows out. Right. I mean, it completely annihilates the, the whole, this whole official narrative that's been, that's been produced by law enforcement.
1: Right. But, but coming from the Consalves family, That was during an actual news interview when the mom come out and said,
2: "Oh yeah, it was at this time of day
1: that we were told that something very bad happened to Kaylee, and that we're going to call you right back. So then they called the police department. The police department says, we can't tell you anything right now. We're going to call you back.
2: They didn't know anything.
1: Okay, so what I'm saying is, how do all these other kids, like what NY says, Snapchat went viral over this whole situation. <laughs> it did, yeah. Everybody knows what's going on. The Greek fraternities, the Greek sororities all know what's going on. The police know nothing. So now you've got all this information coming from a million different directions. and the judge puts the gag order in, right? Correct. What what I'd like to get into now, like what NY said, let's let's discuss how Koberger even became a suspect in the first place. Perfect. And then and then I would like to get into the other theories. Let's take Kohlberger out of the equation. (laughs) Let's bring the other theories in that I find super interesting. And and if we have time, we can even get into the uh, criminal issues that a couple of these girls that got murdered, moms, stepmoms were involved in at the same time. Previously gotta talk about
2: that. You know, I, I hate
0: one I hate to say it and like I, I just we'll say this and then we'll go like we'll go back to what we were just saying now. But like not for nothing. I, you know, if these things happen the way they happen, like, you know, it's horrible that they did lose their kids. But like honestly, even some of the parents and like what they're into or like being almost like gypsies just even makes this whole case even more like high strangeness. No, sure. I mean, I hate to like Very do that trying. to have to like point out like the family of these victims, but when you it do kind hard. of look at him, it well, makes I mean, it even more interesting and weird, in my well, opinion. Well, are we yeah, not blaming the, the
2: victims, it's just an objective analysis. Of yeah, the yeah, yeah, Playoff I mean, I hate, kids. yeah, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we can also bring into how this is a drug hub, this whole area.
2: Again, another uh, imperative point, Ron. We got to talk yeah, about that.
1: Yeah, so let's <laughs> get into how Coburger became a suspect in the first place. I'm
2: yeah, for I'm sure. Interested. One more point, just to drive home on that last on the last uh, topic, it, you know, the reason why these kids are snapchatting at eight, 8 a.m. is because they're following the policy that they have been directed to follow within their sorority or fraternity by notifying their entire sorority before they notify anybody else. So that's just like again, how
1: the Catholic Church does it. That's oh. their Catholic policy. Church. So the kids are just yeah, the
2: kids are following following yeah. what they've been told. So I think a lot of people want to lambast the other you know the other kids in the in that community, which. I don't agree with the policy, but again, I don't agree with these organizations that much either. So, <laughs> but the, you know, and objectively, the kids are following what they've been told to follow. That's the reason mm-hmm. why everybody knew about it before law enforcement. At the same time, it also gives the you know the great amount of you know a large extra time to clean up the, the scene before it, law enforcement is notified. And again, that's clearly what occurred here. The scene was cleaned up, but yeah, on on onto the suspect Coburger, who again. It's, a, it's really a mystery even by law enforcement and reports and affidavits of how he became a suspect even to law enforcement, if you will. They're even confused. Again, they have a very ambivalent la- outlook on it. Everything contradicts itself, right?
0: Seems confusing from what I've heard other people try to even explain.
2: Yeah, so if you, if you kind of remove all the News Nation and other media propaganda that, you know, he's a psychopath who hates women and he's an <laughs> incel because none of these things are accurate, right? There's no, there's no evidence to substantiate any of those claims. Right. It was a so dope male
0: chauvinist, uh, going by News Nation. Yeah,
2: exactly. If you if you take all those out of the Coburger <laughs> suspect pro, criminal profile, right, <laughs> put those in the trash can where they should have never left in the first place. <laughs> the uh, the actual facts established by law enforcement's investigation and and their uh, you know the, the affidavits they filed for probable cause in his arrest, right. Those are the, the things that I th- think we can call facts, right? Information from from those details, right? Details from those investigations, right? Would, would you all agree with that one? Yeah. yeah. Ron? Ron.
1: Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, I'm just getting messages from my from my uh, employees. Oh. Sorry.
2: <laughs> uh, would you Would you agree as far as if we're going to talk Coburger, the establishing the known facts of Coburger, remove all the media reports and all these anonymous sources say? <laughs> yeah. And, et cetera, but and only go off of what the investigatory documents of law enforcement and the search warrant affidavits and probable cause for arrest affidavits. Uh?
1: Sure. Yeah. Because I want you know, <laughs> to, yeah, because I want to get into how he became a suspect and how he actually came to be arrested. None of the hearsay, none of the, you know, rumors, rumor mill, none of that right. just based on police documents.
2: So based upon just the, yeah, the actual uh, documents the, uh, produced by the investigation and filed with the court this is how they got to Koberger, right? On dis Honor about Well, let me get back to this. So initially looked, because the White Launcher was such a big piece of how they got to Koberger, right? So Koberger allegedly had this white launcher that fit the suspect vehicle description. However, he didn't. Again, as I as I said before, they moved the the, the years and stuff and changed the suspect vehicle description to fit Brian Koberger's years, which didn't fit within the Previous years of the Elantra, which seemed to have some conflicting physical appearances, especially at nighttime with the lights. Anyhow, the uh, on December twenty eighth, and the actual once he was arrested, and the aff- arresting affidavits, allegedly now on November twenty eighth. I'm sorry, law enforcement in Pullman, Washington, identified a white Elantra allegedly fitting the, vi- the suspect's vehicle description, which again, it did not. However, November 28th is an important detail from their investigation documents they produced after the arrest because if you look at what their actual actions were during the investigation, on December 7th, they announced to the public at large saying, we need your assistance in locating this suspect vehicle and its owner and occupant or occupants from the night of December, early morning hours of December 13th, right? So if you compare those two things, on November 28th in the investigatory uh, documents in the arrest affidavit, They're saying, we got Cobra, we identified him on WSU's campus, and he's driving this Elantra, right? And if you look, you know, but if you look at what their actual actions were at the time compared to what their actual actions were, you know, on December 7th, they're telling everybody, we need your help identifying the Elantra. we need your help identifying the suspect. So those two things are mutually exclusive of one another. However, that is the narrative that initially got them looking at Brian Cobra initially right now mind you there was another 94 identified white launcher registered to the University of Idaho and they've never confirmed or denied whether or not they interviewed the other 94 um, or between the two campuses WSU and, and University of Idaho um, they've never identified whether or not they've or probably stated or any, or any any you know record filed with the court stated whether or not law enforcement authorities investigated the other 93 or 94 drivers or owners of white Elantra. So I think that's an, imp- an important factor to consider because Coburger's car doesn't fit the initial description, you know, nine days after, they're t- you know, they've allegedly identified internally, they've allegedly identified Coburger. right? Nine days after they're asking, the, they're asking the public and releasing like one photograph image or two photograph images of this white Elantra that they're looking for and asking the, for the public's help. However, nine days prior, in their own investigatory documents, they already have identified Coburger via this Elantra. So it's important to also understand and how they got to Coburger, you know, is did they interview the other 93 or 94 owners of Elantras, which they don't state. And I, I would highly suspect they did not do. Again, just based upon their own activities of later asking the public for help with somebody they allegedly already knew. So what they did as a result of that was flood their tip line, with thousands of calls, right? Because they ask everybody. So there's people in Mumbai, India calling in. I've seen a white Elantra. You know what I mean? Because that's the you know what I mean. Because that's the effect that this case has had Sorry. on people, right? So there's no doubt. I I'm I'm telling you. I used to spend, I spent years in law enforcement. I'm familiar with the calls that you get at dispatch centers. You know, and I, I worked in for years. I was stationed at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. We used to get calls every night from local the local population people seeing UFOs. now. Oh, sure.
1: It's, of course you did. Yeah. Did,
2: they, did they see lights? Did they see something in the skies? Maybe they did, but it didn't matter. People saw UFOs anyway every night. We got And we got calls on at 911 about it, you know what I mean? So, Okay, happens.
1: JJ, wouldn't it be standard operating procedure to interview anybody and everybody within, say, a 30-, 40-mile radius that owned a white Elantra in those years? Wouldn't that be a standard practice to just – not try to find somebody, but to rule people out.
2: Exactly. And, and yeah. actually, during a recorded press conference, because there's no more live press conferences by December 7th, during one of the recorded press conferences released by Moscow PD, Police Chief James, James Fry, the reporter asked him exactly that. And his response was, what do you expect me to do? We have 22,000 registered white launchers. I don't know what he was talking about. But he committed to a number 22. of twenty-two thousand and said, "What do you expect me to do? Investigate all twenty-two thousand? Twenty-two. I mean, I mean and it was very good questions from from the media. I'm not I'm not lambasting their their questions. They asked they continued to ask a lot of good questions at these press conferences. That's why they were no longer live press conferences. They became recorded press conferences. And even I then, know, even know. then, media they didn't want to answer any media re- questions that were legitimate.
1: JJ, where did he get this 23,000 white Elantra's number? Because wherever this is, I am going to go and buy that Hyundai dealership because that, that is insane. I can see maybe a hundred.
2: Right. Which is what they had between the two campuses registered for the campus parking, you know, tags. I I, I can, this is going to be speculation, Ron, but what I'm assuming they did was they typed in white Hyundai Elantra into the Bureau of Motor Vehicles for the state of Idaho and the state of uh, Washington, and they determined that there was 22,000 between the two states from the year-making year model between 2011 to 2016, and that's is it the
0: 22,000. 22, or
2: 23,000? It actually might be 23,000. It was around it was around those two numbers. It, what's really so weird
0: is, is I did want to get this in uh, while you were saying it as well. Last night, well, this is the weird part, because last night when I had this Jumacher kid come on, I think the number 23 is where we started. Like, that's where he, that was the number he started with. And then we eventually went, and we did touch on 93, 94, and 95 as well.
2: I'll get my and idea, we've touched on
0: 117 and 1122. So,
1: so I thought, like a I thought lot. that's what you said, JJ. Oh, my, I yeah, thought you said it was twenty three thousand.
2: It might be twenty three thousand, but yeah, it yeah. was it was definitely a, a, an absurdly high number. That clearly, the more reasonable number would be. Why aren't you investigating and talking to the ninety four registered you know owners of these parking t- tags for these two campuses? But yeah, so he you know he you know that's the kind of nature of these press conferences that the Moscow PD was giving was if you get asked a legitimate, reasonable question, as you pointed out, a very reasonable question, Ron. They would act offended, like, "What do you want me to do? Investigate all these 23,000? You know, White Could have election.
1: just been an ex- off-the-cuff exaggeration. Could
2: have been, but yeah I, yeah, I suspect that knowing how law enforcement thinks and how investigations work, they're going to cover their ass, you know what I mean? There's always this general, you know, standard operating procedure of CYA, regardless of ha- whatever the circumstances are, what, you know, there's always some degree of cover-up, if you will. You know, this guy said this. This guy said this. No, he didn't say that. Just put this guy's in there, and they're going to cover their ass on their end and writing that in there for plausible deniability purposes. Now, so how I far? I think that's all you're seeing here. Is is the kind of the cover your ass aspects of it.
0: How far was Brian Kohlberger away from that college, though? Like, what kind of this is the thing I didn't understand. Though. Like, I, I get that you have all these cars to choose from, but like, what kind of radius were they putting this in that Brian Kohlberger even popped
2: up? So that's a good question. So if you look at the investigation record, what, they, what has been filed into the court for the arrest of Koberger, they don't have a good timeline of how they tracked him. In fact, their timeline of how they tracked him, it doesn't work out even if you, it, it fails. It's under scrutiny just comparing the details of their own timeline, right? <laughs> their own timeline fails. So they say they have these video images of there's this, this is before they identified it as Coburger. This was just when it was suspect vehicle one. They say, we have suspect vehicle one over here in like Pullman, Washington. And then again, the, the cities are five miles apart. And then like eight minutes later, the, you know, the arresting affidavit says we, but then we see, uh, you know, suspect vehicle one at this intersection via these traffic cameras. Right. But if you start plotting out all those points that, that the arresting affidavit shows, so there's not one continuous trail, they're not tracking him from his apartment through all these traffic cameras to the murder house. And, and they're tracking over like an hour and a half period, allegedly, this vehicle, right? It's just, it's driving all around town. Like it's maybe making deliveries, like maybe it's the DoorDash driver, you know what I mean? That would be the most reasonable explanation for even the police investigation's own statements because it's just doing all these different weird movements around town for like an hour and a half and they're between the two cities too. So they're like saying, again, they're anymore. not tracking it continuously. It's just periodic. We see it over here. Then we see it over here, right? And again, if even then they try to say, Well, these cell phone pings from Carberger's phone match up and they don't they don't, right? And and then secondly, even even by the own cell phone pings, aside from the ten square mile issue, which meaning he could ping at any cell phone tower around the town that sitting in his, in his campus apartment. Beyond that, their own arrest affidavit says, Well, we got him sitting as an apartment over here in Pullman at one point in time, but his phone's pinging over here in Moscow, but pay no attention to that. Jay, so again there's no continuous tracking at all. See, there. but
0: the, even the thing with that, I don't mean to interrupt, Ron, but, like, even with that, yeah, a, again, it's like, unless, like, what made you pick? Did you spin a wheel and just stopped it and it said Brian Koberger in that car, and you just randomly picked that? Still, what made you <laughs> check the pinging to match the car?
1: Okay, I was just going to bring that up. Now, <laughs> JJ, when you said they, they were tracking this car, that was driving around and making, you know, weird stops and everything like a Doordasher would do. Uh, were they tracking a car or were they tracking Koberger's cell phone in the car? Because one thing I want people to understand, they can track vehicles. Oh. Every vehicle has a black box in it, just like aircraft, not to that degree, obviously, but... <laughs> I can actually go in with my handheld scanners and just about tell you how many sta- starts and stops, how many key cycles, how fast they were going just before a wreck, how fast they were going and, and when they applied on the brakes, because that's picked up by the ABS, the anti-lock braking
2: system. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're right? making some good points. So,
1: so when so when they were doing that, were they tracking, did they just randomly go into DMV pick out a white Elantra that was in that area and started tracking that vehicle? Or are they saying that this was Koberger's vehicle because they were actually tracking Koberger's phone when he wasn't even a freaking suspect at the time?
2: You're asking better questions than the investigating detectives of the case of Astron. So I'm just going to tell you that right now. You're doing better than they are.
0: (laughs) That that was a solid question though, too, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that is, that is, that's an excellent way to track a vehicle. I would agree with you. They did not do that. The the way they're asserting that this is Koberger is look, we have these random traffic cameras between these two cities and look, we see these, this white vehicle may or may not be the same white vehicle. We're not going to pay no attention to those details. We see this white vehicle driving through these intersections via these traffic cameras at these times. His phone's pinging. Koberger's phone is pinging, not his car. According to their story, it's just his phone they're tracking. It's pinging at these towers. Again, he could be sitting in his WSU campus apartment, and his phone be pinging at towers in Moscow. So they're trying. They, what they try to say is because he's, his phone's pinging over here, and then we have these car on these cam, these traffic cameras over here. It's the same thing. But they do nothing to to bridge that gap and they do nothing to to, to legitimately uh track his own vehicle like you, like the points you 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 brought up that's what i'm saying you're doing way way better than another
1: a, another important thing to bring up is how do we know it wasn't a kia optima
2: exactly <laughs> it's that's basically what I'm saying. the
1: same car so listen yeah. we fix wrecks here all the time the last five wait, okay so when we say Hyundai, we mean kia also right the last five Hyundai slash Kia's that we've repaired in my shop, guess what color they were? White. It's the number one most popular color. I was, was going to
2: say, company. yep, it's <laughs> a Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, so you bring up, again, some excellent points. That Again, the investigators of this case, the law enforcement authorities of Moscow, Idaho, or Pullman, Washington, have decided not to address any of these issues. But, again, on and above that, there are, the evidence they have uh Brought publicly in, in the their arrest affidavit and into the court filings to convict Brian Koberger, they they debunk their own evidence within their own their own filings and, and affidavits, and notably the the knife sheath which is the other primary point of evidence against Koberger is this alleged knife sheath which yeah. there's so much ambiguity. Which was left at the
1: scene. It was just left at the scene to throw everybody off. Well,
2: I mean, alleged, that's what everybody, allegedly. Well, allegedly, well allegedly, it was, no, I'm just saying just from a basic level, it was allegedly left at the scene. There's okay. disagreements on that. In okay, their own but, record. In their own but, documents.
1: I am an older guy. I grew up around K-bars. First thing you think of when you hear K-bar is that's a Marine corps issue knife.
2: Right, it is. That is. That's where it originated, right?
1: Right. So Yes. So uh, the original K bars were actually set to affix to a, a M16, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. or maybe an M14. It
2: doubled but, as a bayonet. You're
1: yeah, it doubled as a bayonet. But uh, but yeah, so let's get into that a little bit, uh, unless you're done with this other thing, because the whole tracking thing and how Koberger became a suspect in the first place is based on he has a white Elantra. Yep. His cell phone happened to be pinging in this area. Yep. Uh, we've got surveillance cameras, uh, private and public, that are showing uh, white Hyundais you know, driving around, which to me wouldn't be that odd. And the fact that he allegedly either had a class with one of these people or somehow was at a bar or something at the same time previously...
2: I'm glad you that, brought that, that up because that's, that that's one of the victims
1: of... was that. So they, these are the very, what I call, loose change that they're digging in their pockets for to put this shit together oh, to, to come to up with it. a suspect because the public is starting to get very impatient with the police. Oh, absolutely. I mean, over a, a month. Reason. It's over a month. You do not have a suspect, but you're telling everybody else there's no threat to the community.
2: Right again. That's a good. You bring up some good points that yeah we missed. So that was their initial. That was their initial sales pitch on the first press conference. Was this was an isolated targeted attack? Now, I take them for their words, and I suspect it was an isolated targeted attack. They much like their their own investigation documents and affidavits. That's their form of plausible deniability.
0: The target right. was taken out. There's no one. There's no more. Yeah. There's no more knew, threat. I people are what dead. Was going
2: on. Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Go, go ahead. No, I'm
0: just saying like that could even be like, see, that's like a way that I could see like word magic being like, okay, maybe like Ron had said before, there was like a cleanup crew went in there. Like maybe those people were targeted. Yeah. They were supposed to. This was supposed to happen. So no, there is no more threat.
2: Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's, exactly, my, that's exactly my point. Yep. That's yep. my point. So, yeah, that's that, my point. so they knew what was they going had, on. They so had no one.
1: suspects, but it wasn't a threat to the community.
2: Right. They, they had no, well, it's, you know, that's not even 72 hours later, they have no idea. Like if, if you were to look at it objectively, a law enforcement investigation would have no idea to make that determination within 72 hours. But in this case, in the first press conference, it was an isolated targeted attack. Again, I, this great analysis, Nick. I agree. That's spot on. That's my position on the matter. I think they were being honest, the police chief. That was to the, to the degree of plausible deniability in mind. That was his. That was his goal. That's what he was achieving. He knows what went on. Well, I think there's a lot of other, uh, you know, you know, kind of uh, other s- circumstances surrounding this murder that have ex- ex- extenuating circumstances on more of a global scale um, regarding some money laundering activities that I suspect are related with some drug running and prostitution activities which I presume are interrelated and there is evidence to support all of those activities going on in and around this Greek community, the Greek students of both WSU and University of Idaho. When I say drug trafficking, I mean I mean substantial, substantial size drug trafficking mm-hmm. going on within these organizations on these campuses. Individuals arrested for the largest pill stamping operation of Xanax in, in, Washington, in the state of Washington history it was happening in a fraternity on Washington State University's campus. And seemingly that case has been sealed because I can't find the court record, even though the drug task force, but I can find a press release they did on the subject. You know, there's been there's been other sororities uh, that have been individuals have been busted for cocaine trafficking. There's numerous reports that the actual murder house was a known drug distribution yes. point. Yes. And I th- When I say and, that. And that's I,
1: important to bring up for what we're going to talk about later.
2: Well, it's important to bring up when considering a cleanup crew in this entire situation yeah, as well yeah. and how it was an isolated targeted attack. Right. So I think these girls were moved into a home that has been a long-standing drug distribution point within these Greek communities on that campus. And prior to them living in that home every year or two, th- that home basically changes the Greek students living there. In the last few years, it had all been sorority girls. However, for the 15 or so years prior, they had all been fraternity fraternity guys living in that home but it's always been a known party house and known drug distribution point for this entire time span and again that's important to consider in the isolated targeted attack department
1: okay i just want to clarify something for the listeners uh when you say greek you mean greek fraternity greek sororities not actual greek people
2: that's a good point Ron however if you had an ethnic ethnically Greek person going to one of these schools and part of one of these fraternities or sororities I guess they'd be double Greek in that in that regard but yeah that's what I mean they're just part of the fraternity or the yeah yeah
1: the which sorority. is which which is its own sort of secret society onto itself
2: <laughs> absolutely because,
1: because you could take something from uh, a Greek a Greek fraternity at Dartmouth or UNH so you know to name some of the colleges in New Hampshire right? Dartmouth Ivy League UNH huge school they are considered brothers with the same greek fraternity that would be at absolutely. Washington or or at University of Idaho
2: just absolutely so you, you're just so spot the on listeners under,
1: can understand that it's almost like a school biker gang <laughs> if, if you one, got man. if you got a hell's angel from New Hampshire and a hell's oh, angel man. from California they're brothers even if they don't know each other that's yeah, a great yeah.
2: way to put it because okay. they even wear like you know like a jacket or something to identify themselves the OTO would other. be the
0: same way the same way the same thing right there you go another so good that, example
2: the point you're making right now ron that's what i was trying to drive home before with this li- these this large-scale liability insurance policy mm-hmm. and the kids behavior relative to that it is because it is all one big national organization and they've literally consolidated their liability into one one well, insurance that's
1: from, that's from all the kids getting killed from the hazing incidents
2: well and whatever else they're doing yeah i mean yeah, that's, part, that's yeah, part of it yeah. Yeah, what, who knows? god knows what else they're doing on this mm. in those places but
1: another question i had and and i'm and i'm not uh this is with all due respect did any of these girls happen to have a snapchat premium or an only fans
2: so is, there does seem to be evidence supporting that some of these girls had uh, OnlyFans. However, I'll take it one step past that and uh, and tell you that upon initially looking at this case around Thanksgiving time frame, I, I mean, I heard about it. I heard, I initially heard the early media reports. I think I saw something on my Google News Feed saying shooting. And I'm like, well, that's unfortunate, you know, but then I didn't think about it or hear about it for like a couple more weeks. I have some friends that live in, live in that region and one of my friends, you know, was telling me some details and I'm, i was telling her well that doesn't sound right so you know and i looked into some more of the details it's just the response from law enforcement again the, primarily the within three days calling it a, an isolated targeted attack however two weeks later not having any suspects or any ideas in these, in these press conferences right so that is a that's a huge that's a huge red flag and it, and it was a red flag across the entire community up there so i started looking in, into the details of the circumstances yeah and and, and so you know the just the whole uh, it was around the, around the Thanksgiving time frame. So you you could s- see some of that the shifting around that time frame as well, just how the narrative was going going on.
1: Okay, so my question is why I asked that, is that if any of these girls, and they were pretty girls, let's call it what it was, right. if any of these girls did have a Snapchat premium that they were selling picks yep. on, and only fans... They, they would have been making a fuck ton of money, those girls. yeah, and, yep. Right? And if they had subscribers and members that opens up a whole new pool of suspects.
2: Exactly, exactly. Right. No, that's a good point. So around Thanksgiving timeframe, when I say there was a shift in the narrative, there was a shift in all these, uh, the, especially the surviving victims and some of the other their, their social network of friends, there was a shift in their social media accounts. Everyone was turning them into private. So, but I got some, I got some, some quick looks. Near the, around, during that thing, it seems like the, the students went on for Thanksgiving break or they were on Thanksgiving break because classes had already been canceled until Thanksgiving break. Um, following the murder, so which was the following week? Yeah, exactly. So they're already at home, and while they're at home, it seems that they were they were shutting down all their their pro, their public profiles. So I got some. I was able to get some look at what, what's going on. The thing I found the most curious. It does seem there there was some OnlyFans activities that later got deleted around that time, but it also seems that to be, you know, point of fact that these girls were traveling around um, the United States during the school year, right? Without in, in instances without their boyfriends, because you know, on their social media uh, pictures and profiles, they're posting of this activity, of these travels. Right, that's the reason why I know when I say it's during the school year, because you can look at the dates on when the photo was posted and when the on their Instagram or you know what have you. And and on some of those Instagram posts, some of the boyfriends are saying, "I wish you would travel with me." So. He, these girls are always traveling seemingly without their boyfriends because they're always by themselves in these photos. And they're going to like San Diego, Miami, Portland, uh, Hawaii, you know, Los Angeles, uh, Seattle, right? During the school year, Las Vegas, somebody's paying for these trips. Why are these girls traveling individually to all these cities? Again, with their boyfriends publicly posting like sad stories of I wish you'd travel with me on their on these pictures, right? like That you know costs I mean,
1: money. That costs yeah, a lot of and money. And
2: again, where are these girls getting the money from? Why are they traveling to these cities? So it seems to me that somebody was pimping these girls out. Look, just looking at their own photographs from their own social media accounts, again, most of this is not, most if not all is not public well, any longer, but it was, at, you know, around a November timeframe still.
0: I mean, let's even be real. If you just go by the social media posts that you see, if, I mean, I don't know. Did, did any of these women work? Because if you look at the way that they dressed and just
2: their hair products, Great point. Great Just point the
0: shit they were using in their hair to do what they were doing and make <laughs> it look the way it did. They needed a fucking job or some yeah, sort no, of they dressed, income.
2: They dressed very nice. They had some, they had some they 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 wore some. They didn't, uh, but there's any women listening?
0: They understand what I'm getting at. Go look at those chicks' yeah. hair. That had fucking money
1: in it. I can tell you what my wife <laughs> spends. A, no, for sure. all right, I have a wife and a twelve-year-old girl, and I can tell you. A lot of money is spent on hair products. When I get the old spice three in one, wash your hair and your nuts with the same stuff.
2: <laughs> right.
1: I, <laughs> I can't even I get in my, I have no place to put my shit in the shower between those two right. and all their stuff in the shower. So
2: you gotta great consolidate. Point, you gotta consolidate your point. time. You gotta, you gotta yeah. save time too, Ron. You know, yeah. put them all well, in bottle.
1: Well, I don't have much hair, so it's all good.
2: <laughs> but anyways, yeah, good good point yeah, though. Yeah, good point.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's get into uh, Let's, and I don't know one, how one, much time one, we have one, left, but,
2: yeah, one but more, we'll like another 15 minutes. If okay. I may interject real quick regarding the finances of these victims, I mean, one of the victims who actually she just came back for that weekend, so for being an isolated targeted attack, uh, Kaylee Gonzalez, one of the victims, she came back just for that weekend, right? So so that would be an isolated target attack if, if that was an important factor in why they were attacked that weekend, right? Mm. Because she was only there at that weekend. Oh. She was already leaving. It was her senior year. She was graduating in December, and she was already going on to her internship in Texas. Now, all three of the the three females that, that all were, were victims of murder in that house that night on, on November 13th or that morning, they already all quit their sororities, right? All oh. of them. So I think, I think, I honestly think that's an important factor, especially if you consider the larger totality of what these sororities and fraternities might be involved in. Now, Ethan Chapin, the male victim, he he was still part of his sorority. Or I'm sorry, his fraternity. His fraternity, the two, yeah. Yeah, the two surviving victims, they were still part of, they were still active members of the sorority.
1: How does that work when you leave a sorority or a fraternity? I think it probably it, works on like, li- even ask me. <laughs> Isn't that a lifetime thing? I mean, I know we're splitting hairs here.
2: Yeah. No, yeah. it's a good point. I think I think yeah. it's a lot I think it's no, no different than trying to leave ms 13 if you ask me.
1: Because yeah. it's now you have secrets.
0: No, and was it that like uh, Exactly. with they weren't done with school. They just left that sorority and still was in school
2: or Yeah, so one of them yeah, two one of them was graduating in December. The other two were still in school allegedly, right? I would okay. actually claim they may have been leaving school as well because there's, there's a Facebook, uh, you know, group posts of uh, set tr- one of them trying to sell their, their bedroom uh, furnitures. And that was like seven weeks prior to the murder. So it seems like, it seems to me, so as the story goes, Madison Mogan, the vi- one of the victims, she was living in that house last year. She was Kaylee Gonzalez's, you know, best friend. So they were both seniors, right? She wasn't graduating in December. So she lived in the house the previous year, her junior year. And in June... She got all new roommates, including her best friend, Kaylee Gonzalez, who was one of the victims. And then two, Kaylee was from a different sorority, and then two of her sorority sisters, Madison Mogan's sorority sisters, and those were the other two victims, right? Or I'm sorry, the other female victim was her sorority sister. And the other two surviving roommates were, their, were also their sorority sisters, but they were they were sophomores. So And, and why they're living in that house anyway, because most, most of the time sophomores are supposed to live in their sorority. So why they're living in that house anyway is a different story altogether, probably. Right, yeah,
1: because there's some protocols there as far as that goes, off-campus housing.
2: Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, nonetheless, there was another, there was a sixth girl uh, roommate that was supposed to live there, and she left shortly after they moved in in June of last year. She was part of the sorority she quit and left school, right? So I think there may have been stuff that that she didn't agree with and maybe these other girls didn't agree with, right? Maybe they didn't know the full details. Maybe this was a drug distribution house, again, with a larger organized network, and they didn't realize what they were really signing up for, the kind of the impetus of their actions. You know, they thought it was something, again, if it's within their own organizations and they think it's something that's being sold to them as accepted, they may not know the back end of that, of that, of that you know contract they're signing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, and somebody that has knowledge of several different types of organizations, uh, if you're a member, you don't ever leave. Uh, not, not unless you're, not unless you're what we, well, like what they used to do in the military when you were drummed out of the military, or if you're kicked out of a biker gang, that's never a pretty thing. Uh, and if you're, uh, and if you're in any, uh, type of organized crime, uh, once you became a full fledged made member, that's for life. You do not leave. That is punishable by death. Now I am not saying that is what's going on here, but uh, in the time we have left, uh, I would, and I know we're going to have to get together and talk deeper about this because, I mean, we're gone almost two hours and we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, right? yeah, just the, yeah. just the yeah. interesting yeah. points on it. But in the time left, I would like to get into a little bit of the rumors of how this, the murder house was a drug den, how this is a drug infested area. And I don't know a lot about it, but I did hear a little bit about. The mom and stepmom of two of the female victims being up on extensive drug charges leading up to the like years prior to this during and actually missed a court date a week after this happened for either some type of arraignment or a sentencing or something like <laughs> that on drug and drug paraphernalia charges. So somebody in the you, chat already brought that info up. On that? What's that? My somebody in the chat already brought that out. That Zanna's mom oh, okay. or something.
0: Yeah, something with talked
2: about. Next spot on it was yeah, victim Zanna Cornetto's mom. She uh, she was actually on. She she actually was skipping out on two arraignment hearings at the time of the murders. One just prior to it, and then one back in August. The one in August out of Pierce County, Washington, which is just to the northwest of Moscow, Idaho, north of Pullman, which is Whitman County, mm-hmm. which sits immediately to the west. Um, but she, yeah, she skipped charges on an arraignment hearing out of Nes Pierce for methamphetamine trafficking and heroin possession. And that was in August of 2022. So yeah, there's the victims' families. Not all of them. Not the Gonzalez, but the other ones. They all have drugs surrounding their their families, their parents, and what and whatnot. Right, um,
1: right. Ha- but but they were under arrest though. And if they were, and if they were part of a bigger organization, what is always the fear of the higher ups? Well, Somebody's uh, going to talk. So maybe we should send a little message.
2: There you go.
1: To maybe get them to th- th- think less about cooperating.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's, I, mean, I know it's go. a
1: far, it's a far, a fringe theory.
2: I mean, is it? But it makes is sense. It, but it makes it, sense. Is it? Because you have a history of these sororities and fraternities on both these campuses setting record high levels of drug trafficking within their organizations in recent years. You have the parents. Clearly, of victims clearly surrounded by, not all of them, but again, a couple of the victims' parents, clearly with the drug problems, again, drug trafficking problems, right? Xana Colonel's mom was not under arrest and skipping out on arraignments and going on the lam. She was uh, she had warrants out for arrest. She had warrants out for arrest talking to, and she's on interviews, Skyping into News Nation. Minister mm-hmm. mean, it's preposterous. One, well, one wanted, was
0: doing an interview because I think she lived in her car and she had, like, her guitar in the backseat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the exact interview. So she's got warrants out for arrest in that interview, right? She's actively dodging law enforcement by giving this interview to News Nation. And one of those charges she's dodging is methamphetamine trafficking. So you bring up a good point, Ron. She's obviously involved in a higher organization uh, effort of of drug activity in that region, and it, it could be an issue of you did you did us wrong. We're gonna you're gonna take care of your kid, and then maybe the other victims are just victims of circumstances of being present at that home. And maybe that home has some loose connections or somewhat more stronger connections to this larger drugs trafficking network. Because again, students, parents of students, cab drivers, local townies, they've all reported that's a long-term known drug distribution home. And again, these girls moved in in June of last year, except for Madison Mogan who moved in at June the, the previous year. However, these the reports are, this is 10, 20 year long-term drug distribution point Everyone goes and buys drugs, and if you look at the actual police reports and see where the drug activity is in the Moscow PD police reports, it's littered all around in a, in a very close circle to, to that home. Because obviously the police are busting some people that come out of that area with drugs, but not busting others because they're not shutting down the drug activity. They're just citing some people for drug act, drug uh-huh. possession.
1: Yeah, wh- which they got to make the money,
2: right? They know the drug. Which? They know where the drug houses. They got to make the money. They got to put it in. Let, which, that, let that money keep flowing.
1: Which also goes back to are the local PD, not saying they are, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but is the local PD on the take? Is the local PD getting paid off? Is is this why the investigation took so long? Is this why there was a however many four or five hour uh, period between the, the murders allegedly happened and the time that they were reported, right? So do Those we know that? Do, do we know that there's a if there's a three-letter organization that's involved, like the DEA, for example, I know that in my state, there's an ongoing thing where the DEA was actually involved in uh, the losing of 80,000 80, doses of fentanyl yes. or something like crazy stuff like that. We all know that that is a very high probability. We don't want to believe that because we want to believe that our law enforcement is there to enforce the law and to stop this the drug trafficking. However, take the silver or take the lead in a lot of a lot of <laughs> cases, you got co- cops don't get paid that much money, civil servants don't get paid that much money. Uh, they know that the drug trafficking is going to happen, whether they fight it or not, they can fight it all day long, but it's going to continue. So well, maybe, I mean, so, maybe so maybe, they point. just I mean, maybe they just go in and say, you know what, we'll take a little bit of money. We won't bust that house. We'll let them do their thing, but we'll pinch a guy here, pinch a girl there, just to make it look like we're doing our job.
2: I mean, you make some reasonable points. I mean, to your point, though, I mean, it's not. I don't think it's irrational to think that law enforcement is capable of being corrupted. I mean, just just look at the FBI. I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there. we know for a fact in the big cities that's how it
2: works. So I would say as yeah, people yeah. say that all the time. I would say I live in a small town area. I mean, I would say small and I'm very familiar with small town politics and law enforcement. I would say small town politics and law enforcement are no different things operate on small scales and different. They operate on big scales. It's the same activity. This is we're just speaking volume at this point. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, to, so it's funny you say about all this drug task force, the DEA, et cetera. i I got some, I got some feedback for you on that, Ron. So, the there is a local drug task force set up between the states of Idaho and Washington. It's it's operated by a board of trustees. The board of trustees are the people conducting this investigation. It's the county prosecutors. It's the chief of police. Right, the same people that are that are incriminating Coburger, you know, right now and under you know the most dubious evidence and possible. And we didn't even really get into the full scale yet. If we we still do, it's fine. We don't. Um, the the full scale full-blown uh, preposterous nature of this evidence of the DNA evidence on this alleged knife sheath, right? We haven't even really touched on that, but so they're, they're just, but what we have touched on the case of even getting the Coburger or the case of tracking Coburger, it's all, it's all silliness, right? It's there's just so many gaping holes in their whole, their whole little, you know, they, they've, again, they've tailored certain details to put it on Coburger, but you even point to the dates and their public actions to see what those dates were when they made that pivot. Right. So again, their whole case is pretty preposterous. And again, the rest of the details that they've produced make it even more preposterous. Right. But the, to, to your, to your point on this drug activity, again, the people that run the local drug task force are the people conducting this investigation. So there is a drug aspect to it. There is a drug traf- traffic situation they would, it's the same people involved that would have a a greater and more concerted uh, effort in which to, you know, make that other stuff go away, right? And put this murder on whoever. And Koberger was actually up for an internship within one of these departments as part of his doctoral program. Right, he was going to
1: school for that.
2: Right, so to further answer the question of whether or not how they got to Koberger, they may have just did this. They may have just looked down the hall and said, the intern's got a white Elantre, let's put it on the intern.
1: Okay, so so here's another idea that I have. So, a, a lot of things are leading to that. Kohlberger may not be the actual assailant on these murders, right?
2: Well, I mean, the, he may be the actual assailant, but they produced no evidence to substantiate that claim. I mean, no evidence. So, his okay, DNA so, knife sheet stuff is, is just, Any again, they don't even agree on it in their own documents, right? So, when they try to go for a search warrant of his apartment, the Whitman County prosecutor says, pay no attention to the DNA Evidence on this knife sheath, issuing us the search warrant. Right, yeah. the the police department from Pullman says we need this search warrant for his apartment to find a knife in a sheath. Why are you looking for a sheath if you've already got the sheath? You already have it. Right? Yeah. Right. And then again, the the actual the investigatory nature and 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 uh, the the. Uh, the possession of the knife sheath, they, they don't, there's nothing in there that says when they brought the knife sheath into evidence. The affidavit is not clear on who picked it up, when it was picked up, or when it was entered into evidence. All the officers on scene at the house, they all have conflicting statements on when the knife sheath was there and who saw the knife sheath. And to your, to your statement about the dog earlier, they don't agree on when the dog was there. The lead detective in the case only saw the dog when he viewed some other officer's body camera footage later. So there's all this conflicting. You know, no one agrees on the dog when the dog was there, how it was there? When it was they don't even mention when, who took it out or why. Right? They don't mention the dog was processed for any kind of DNA evidence. None of that talk. Right? Right. Well, <laughs> if, that, you a, if you have a if you have a dog, details.
1: if you have a dog, and I don't care what kind of dog it is. It's going to want to protect its owner. It's gonna freak Absolutely. out. It's gonna bark when somebody knocks sneaks into the door when a dog senses somebody different in the house unless unless this dog was so used to lots of different people coming and going. hence the drug house possibility, right A dog is a dog is gonna to try to protect its owner if somebody's showing aggression against their owner, right? for sure. but but let's look at this. Whether or not Koberger is the actual assailant, or if he's just one piece of the puzzle, which he very well could be, right? We're gonna we and he just barely was indicted, like you say, back uh, like a couple weeks ago, right? Right. Which if this goes to trial and it gets dragged out in the legal system, which we know it's going to, in the end, ultimately, if he comes hung jury, he's acquitted. Whatever he does not get convicted of this crime. Now so much time has passed that the trail's gone cold. They're never going to find out who killed these kids.
2: Oh, I'll do even better, Ron. They've been trying to tear down the house since December seventh. Yeah, the I, day heard, yep. I heard. I heard they <laughs> announced the Elantra to the public, saying eight days after, the, according to their own documents, they already had identified Coburger and his Elantra. When then they told the public, "We're looking for this Elantra. We need your help." Right? Yeah. Again, they already had. They already knew. According to their own documents, they already knew Cobra and his trouble by that point for eight days, nine days. And they're gonna
1: and they're gonna demolish this house.
2: Yeah. So the same day on December seventh, they're saying, "We need your help with identifying this guy with a guy a guy they already know." They also announced, by the way, we're cleaning out the house and we're going to tear it down. And yeah, again, that's an active crime scene, right?
1: What? Well, it's so, an active crime scene <laughs> until somebody is convicted. Right? Not active crime scene until somebody is arrested.
2: So because Chief Fry literally drove the U-Haul over there himself and started emptying the house himself. And there's video there's videos of this.
1: Yeah. That is so inappropriate. You do so, not that, this is an active crime scene until absolutely. somebody is convicted. But what else do we see that they destroy before anybody looks into it? Is a particular school up in Connecticut that they demolished.
2: I was about to say JFK's limousine. That was destroyed and demolished by Monday.
1: We could give you multiple examples, right? Yeah. But the whole story but, yeah, is really so interesting.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So to the point of the destruction of the home, the Cobra's defense counsel's first action was to put in a motion to stop the destruction of this home. hmm So he and doesn't where, have and legitimate does that, defense. Where does That's that wild. stand
1: right now? Is that being held up?
2: Well they've no they've tried to destroy it numerous times since then, but yeah. <laughs> right now it's still in existence. Yeah. <laughs> it's what? Still,
0: One thing I do want to bring up, and then we'll wrap it up here, just I I think another, like, another, just a very weird situation where, to me, it doesn't make any sense, is, like, even the whole situation with the person upstairs in the house. um, You know, they had their, you know, according to them, they didn't suspect anything really weird going on because it was known as a party house. You'd hear noises. You'd hear screams. You'd hear, you know... You, there was sounds normal.
2: It sounds like murder.
0: Yeah, but, all right, yeah, I, so then I could say, all right, well, you know, whatever. They're saying that you know, normally it's noisy, so it's not unusual to hear stuff going on throughout the whole night. But then right. you admit to cracking, opening your door three times and looking down the hallway. Exactly. That is not usual sound that makes you open up your door three times anymore. That is unusual sound look. that made you check your hallway two or three times. And you'd go look. What yeah, is going
1: absolutely. on? Absolutely. Yeah. So that makes you know, no sense to me, me honestly. I'll go back murder. and hide in your freaking room <laughs> Right. Yeah. and wait till 11 o'clock to call the cops. Yeah. And not get killed. Okay. That's an interesting one, too.
2: That, that's a good point because she allegedly yeah. yelled out for them to quiet down. So the you'd figure the assailant would realize there was somebody else in that room. Right. Which, again, no
1: victims is the best victim. I mean, no witnesses are the best witnesses. Right
2: now, her, that that I now that eyewitness report, which was allegedly not an eyewitness report initially, but was later shifted to an eyewitness report from the surviving roommate that we're, we're, we're referring to right now. If you were to plot that out into the actual physical house, you know, if you were to put that, look at the actual layout of that home. If Cobra is coming down those stairs and making eye contact with this person the door the door sits kind of just right at the edge of the stairs so she's looking out the crack of the door seeing Coburger. he's making a u-turn through the kitchen and out that back sliding glass door none of it makes any sense because if she's looking out of the crack of her door she's seeing down this other hallway where one of the victims is laying dead in the the hallway allegedly Uh right so she's not seeing that and we're talking a space of like five feet this is a very tight tightly confined space this is not a huge house, and that no small this, this,
1: place. Yeah,
2: yeah. This is there's a living room in that second floor, but this is an entryway to the stairs and into the kitchen, and then into the laundry room, and then this hallway. They all kind of meet at this one little point, and that girl's looking out her the crack of her door, allegedly, right?
1: Is the and is the lone survivor been cleared of any possibility of being a suspect?
2: They were cleared three days after the crime of being a suspect. Again, the it's the ambivalent nature of the entire investigation. It's all very contradictory because again. The, it makes no sense. Cause again, they changed, there was no, neither of the surviving roommates were eyewitnesses. And then again, one of them was an eyewitness. And according to, to cover defense counsel, the second surviving roommate has exculpatory evidence, right? Those are the motions she's filed, right? To subpoena that person. And again, th- she's been subpoenaed, but then again, the, the state of Idaho pulled this whole grand jury indictment because they didn't want the subpoena being public. They didn't want the arraignment hearing being public. So again, they're trying to keep this under wraps still in my opinion. These are the actions they're – so they, they filed motions to stop, you know, these these activities. They lost the motions, and then as responsive response of losing, they said, all right, we're going to have a grand jury indictment. And why are you doing an indictment five months after you arrested this man, right? And again – It's quite a stretch. The DNA evidence, back to the knife sheath real quick, just the story on how they got it. not even I'm not even going to – we can address it maybe some other time as far as the questionable forensic act, science activity around this knife sheath and the parties surrounding it. And the greater implications surrounding that, even maybe, because I think it has some some global financial connections involved with some money laundering operations out of that same that same immediate region, um, inv- involving the money uh, the money laundering operation of FTX, who bought a bank, they bought a small rural bank there, and have been doing some weird money laundering activity where the DOJ has already seized the bank and seized sixty million dollars. So a lot of strange money laundering activity going on in the immediate vicinity of these two rural college towns that have a drug trafficking situation. So Kober could be a convenient and seems like he may very well be a convenient scapegoat and everything because even the DNA evidence makes no sense. So allegedly the they, authorities went on trespass without a search warrant onto Coburger's parents' property in Pennsylvania, went through the trash can, found some DNA, male DNA evidence on something. They don't really identify what, sent that evidence in, identified it was allegedly and co- ended up being co- dad's DNA. Then they ran after some genealogy uh DNA databases, which again is possible, but the way they're trying to sell it and the way they, they went about it is not only unlawful without a search warrant, as I said, going onto his parents' property.
1: And you and have to have consent you have to have consent from the family to if you're getting DNA uh DNA or information from a DNA database like 23andMe Ancestry.com uh, because they did solve a cold case in New Hampshire that way,
2: it's for sure. It's possible, yeah. You, but there they is, had
1: to get permission from <laughs> yeah. the family to do it. Sure. That is a warrantless search and seizure, right there. Which, right there, that one thing that they did is enough to get this thrown out of court. And again, exactly. see, like
0: this is even another another thing. If they had to go and. Try to get DNA to see if it matched. I mean, again, I know you brought up the father, but still, like, I would just assume that, like, again, like, you still don't have a reason to have chosen Colbert. Because you didn't exactly. have the D. It's not like the DNA popped up and said it was him. You're going right. and trying to get his to see You're if it matches what you have.
1: And exactly. making it fit.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: because because they didn't have DNA evidence against Kohlberger uh, prior to him being arrested that I know of.
2: No, no. In yeah. fact, yeah. there's so many questions surrounding the, even if there was a sheath at the scene, let alone whether or not it contained any DNA evidence at all, that makes you question again, does the sheath even exist and, and you put that in, in the same in the same thought process of no search warrant to even get this DNA evidence to test against the sheath. It suddenly provides a, 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 a well, somewhat of a more murkier side picture, but one that's obviously not legitimate, one that's obviously not an actual investigation.
1: Well, that one and of, them, the,
2: one the of them you've picked Koberger and then you decided it's this guy because, again, how do you get to Koberger? You're you're currently without a search warrant trespassing on his parents property. But why?
1: Right. And the K bar has never been recovered. If it was a
2: K bar, has never been recovered. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Like, dude, we could go for hours and hours uh, on this. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll just wrap it up here. I think this is a good well, way
2: to end it. If I can, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the conversation, fellas. It's good, good, good conversation. I enjoyed it. And thanks for having me back, Nick, to have a, have this conversation on the Idaho Four. Because, again, it's an international case as far as captivating the minds of folks international. And it, it defies so many things. Like, uh, just one more to, to bring a, another comparison to OJ, real quick, to close this out. They never found the knife in the OJ and the OJ uh, the murders, the uh, murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Right, knife was never found.
1: Yeah, so we've got two cases with no murder weapons.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it's bugged out. And, and drug kind of like
1: the number one piece of evidence you need <laughs> is the murder weapon. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, it's tough yeah. to tie. It's tough to tie the, uh, the the you know your suspect to the. To the, to the case without a murder weapon because you're not, you're not building your case of how did it occur, when did it occur, and in what manner did it occur, right? You're, these are all very big question marks if you can't even produce a murder weapon. You can say they got stabbed. You can say they stabbed this way, but, you know, without the murder weapon, it's, you know, it's not really as, as a substantial of an argument. Now, there, are, there obviously has been homicides, obviously, that have been convicted on su- such circumstantial evidence and su- circumstantial argument. Hell, they convicted a guy around here. They didn't even find the victim's body, and they convicted the guy. So uh-huh. th- that that does happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, next time we get together, I'll, uh, remind me of that, and I'll tell you a cool story. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, something we'll similar to that. Uh, JJ, thank you for joining the NY oh, yeah. Patriot and the Wicked Planet on this very, very interesting subject, uh, yeah. the, the no, Idaho, the Idaho 4. Yeah, for sure. We're going to be getting together real yeah, I soon. And I just, just want to end here with my thing is, like, to be continued.
2: For sure, <laughs> for sure. And I'll let
1: and I'll let NY close it out. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank
0: you. Uh, yeah, that was a great talk. We definitely, I think, all three of us, we need to do like a part two to this eventually. Maybe for sure, few, few for weeks. sure. Yeah,
2: because I think this will be no, an yeah.
0: ongoing. Just, I think there'll be more shit to just be like, really, really. Yeah. I
1: don't think this is it. You know,
0: there's <laughs> definitely yeah. more to this storyline. Yeah, it's. Well, I mean, it's,
2: it's, it's certainly continued. gonna get interesting.
1: Yeah, this story continues anyways, because it's still ongoing. Yes,
0: yes. Now, real quick, Ron, somebody's asking in the chat, do you have a YouTube channel or no?
1: I have a YouTube channel, but but there's nothing on it. Yeah, we have not gone visual yet. Okay. But if you want to listen to the Wicked Planet, obviously it's just audio, but it's everywhere you can find New York Patriot. I think except for maybe Spreaker. Yeah. yeah, you can find the wicked planet just come and give us a follow, check out a few episodes, uh let us know what you think.
2: Yes, and yeah, there is I found there's... you on Spotify. That's where I've, i downloaded the
1: Yeah, most of my most of my listeners are on Spotify. It's it's almost a toss up between Spotify and Apple, and I'm on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, audible.com. Oh, nice.
2: nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can go on Audible and listen to me while you're listening to your uh <laughs> your uh audio Bible at the same I time. I
0: think I might have put my RSS feed up in that too actually. On Audible yeah, yeah hit, me, hit, me up and <laughs> I'll, hit me
1: up and i'll and i'll clue you in if, if you're not uh,
0: Yeah,
2: i don't think yeah. i am so I'll, I'll definitely check that out
0: right. Yeah, uh, yeah so there uh their links for both of their stuff it's already in the bottom uh again thank you guys i had a great chat you know awesome. that was just an awesome yeah, talk sure. on this a weird 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 situation and thank <laughs> yeah. you for uh thank you all the uh people in the chat too there was a There's a lot of conversation going on and a lot of comments and a lot of people into it. So that is what's up. Thank you very much for jumping in on the live and, uh, you know, putting in some of your comments and some of your uh, facts from the case in there as well. That's what's up. And uh, until the next one, everybody be well later.